KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Social media as we know it is completely changing. Twitter started capping tweets, the latest move under Elon Musk that has drawn a lot of fire. Reddit has been having its issues. Instagram now also is threads and blue sky exists, whatever that is. With old platforms seemingly fading out or at least losing luster and with newer ones emerging, people are starting to rethink what they want out of their social media and what they can and can't compromise. If you look at kind of like the checklist of stuff that people that are looking for new media, I think, have in their mind, it might be for how much control do they have over their data. Derek Arnold is a senior instructor of communication at Villanova University. He says now with so many different social media platforms, communities are more spread out and siloed off. It leaves little room for outside views. When you find a source like that, whether it's liberal or conservative or whatever, however else you kind of define it for you, it winds up being something that you are attached to. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we discuss the future of social media platforms, what users might want out of newer platforms, and what having all of these sites means for creating community. Even people that aren't on Twitter because of Elon Musk and his outsized influence on media and stuff like that, people are aware of the changes on Twitter and the problems on Twitter. I don't utilize it that often, but I've also heard that Reddit communities, Reddit's going through some, some things as well. Are we in a bit of a sea change, you think, when it comes to social media? Because you talk about Twitter and Reddit, you're talking about two really, really critical sites that, for good or for bad, bring people together and kind of foster discussion and stuff like that. But are we in a sea change overall, you think, in social media? I think that we are in some ways. I do think that, like you said, Twitter is something that I found, you know, within the last couple of years with my classes, which surprised me, that they use it for one of their first sources of news. Um, and if there's something that's breaking, that's where they go first. And for me, you know, who is older than they are, when it came to like, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was the radio for breaking news, or maybe sometimes I'd catch a special bulletin or, you know, report on TV, but this was even like kind of pre-cable. So to have the people kind of doing that and using something like Twitter for, for news was a little bit of a surprise, but at the same time, like you said, this is something that that community has kind of tended to grow on. And I do think like with Reddit, I think that that's something where, you know, it's a lot of information and it's more about big communities that are still somewhat specialized. And I think if you have all these different subreddits, like one on home improvement or one about jazz music or whatever, you find something that you want to just kind of talk about, but also listen to people who are experts. And I think they're two different audiences, but I think because of that, we are, like you said, hitting a sea change. Because I do think that when it comes to people being able to look at the effects of that and the idea of merging you know, the sweet spots of being able to just have a conversation with somebody and enjoying that. But now the idea of now you got to pay. And before they used to slip things like advertising and stuff in it. But I do think like with Twitter, with this $8 monthly thing to be, you know, kind of Twitter blue and with some of these other things where Reddit got in some serious trouble with a lot of its moderators and stuff with other their subreddits and stuff, because those APIs, the things that they use, the apps, they wanted to sell their data to folks for advertising and for third party kinds of things. 
And they were seeing that some of these third-party apps that were really uh, important for some of these people on, on Reddit were having a hard time justifying staying in business because they were talking it would cost us millions of dollars to be able to deal with you, you know, Reddit. And so I think that's something where those things have come out and public. And now people are beginning to see the effects of what does it take now to have these huge hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the community having to hold those things together and what are some of those business aspects that really now make it uh, a transitionary period. And I think what will happen is that the bigger businesses, like always, will wind up finding a way to buy off in some ways some of the technology and stuff. And that'll make a difference, I think, as far as you know how we expect these things to be run in the future and what are our expectations about things like privacy. And it's interesting, in the wake of the high-profile problem specifically with Twitter, Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, comes out with something similar called Threads. And you see, for a couple of days, I constantly saw people on Twitter posting, hey, now I'm on Threads. That's This is my account. All this attention and 100 million users in a few days, just about every person I saw post about the actual site about Threads was, that's okay. Can something survive just on a, it's not that, but it's just kind of okay? Or is this just kind of the starting point you think this could build into something that people enjoy and can turn into another kind of town square type of social media situation? I think that's what Threads is trying to, I guess, gamble on, that they think that they can make that work. And certainly one of the things that, you know, gives them a a built-in supply of people right away is that all the thread accounts come through Instagram. So if you have Instagram account, then you can apply for the thread account. And then there's some issues with privacy, you know, that come along with that. But I do think that's something there that it is harder just because I think that threads then is saying that they're going to build upon their platform with all of these different new devices and things that you can use. But I think right now they're, they're hoping that people will come and stay for like different kinds of conversation. And like you said, it kind of depends on whether that's something that people feel like they're safe in some ways or or that they're not being intruded upon, where they can find people to, I guess, just have those conversations with. I know that I read a couple of quotes from people from Threads that were basically saying they're hoping that people will see it as kind of a safe, they're not going to try to censor the, the messages hardly at all, if at all, they kind of have gone on record as saying, but We'll we'll see. Like you said, there's got to be something to kind of catch people's attention beyond the, oh, there's a sit in the corner now just because I have it doesn't mean I use it actively. And that makes it a lot harder to kind of push for this. So I think we'll see in the next maybe month or so, at least, just to get a little bit more of a feel where how many people are actively using it. Twitter, I think, gave me an interesting little side where they said, now we're looking for not so much how many people have accounts or how many people link or you know click on our on our site. Now we're looking for this uh, kind of new data set that they have, which is how many seconds do you spend on a particular thing? And that if it's something where you just click on something and 10 seconds later, you're gone for the rest of the day, that's something that they see that it benefits them because I think they're banking on your side of the question that they will see people as going, eh, and there's nothing to really keep me here. So it'll be interesting to see over the next month or two, I think, some of the new features and whether Twitter's able to exploit some of that stuff. And not for nothing, you know, we talk about droves of people going to threads to try it out because it's not Twitter. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is not exactly a guy that I think 
society has warm and fuzzy feelings for that he has their best interests at heart. Like, I, you kind of feel like you're lurching from one narcissistic millionaire, billionaire to another narcissistic billionaire and kind of hoping for the best. Yeah. I do think sometimes the funniest things I see about Mark Zuckerberg are just the people who are using his version of, of him that was on Sign Out Live or things like that. Just who is actively funnier than the other? And this whole cage match that's kind of suggested between the two of them. Yeah, on one hand, you shake your head and you go, you just can't make this stuff up. But at the same time, does it make people keep that brand that they're associated with in their mind? And does the winner gain an extra 10 or 20 million, you know, accounts based on something as silly as this. It shows you how wide social media can can touch and be touched by all these different aspects of our culture. If things are going in this direction, are we just going to probably see even more splintering in information silos? I think so. I think certainly that's that's the future, at least for now, for me. I mean, the idea of this hyper-personalization and almost this idea of hyper-targeting people. The meta uh, threads, you know, they've been saying that it's going to be ad-free until we have a clear path to a billion people. And then they'll start, you know, having the, the major companies beginning to have access, you know, again, to the, the data that you have to enter in order to get a Threads account. I mean, uh, there's things like your race and ethnicity and sexual orientation and stuff that you can put down, trade union membership, pregnancy status, political, uh, you know, kind of viewpoints. And so with all that stuff, it's going to be easy. And that's just if you're being passive in a way about the information to be able to allow other groups to be able to suck up those bits and pieces and specifically send messages to you. And I think that, you know, having hundreds of millions of people perhaps on a particular platform just means that you can have thousands of million communities and memberships based on some of these things. And so even though you're still talking fairly big numbers, you are talking still splintering. And I think that's just going to keep on going at least for a while. I'm not sure what it will take to break that, to have people just follow a platform because of the one thing that they can offer. I thought Twitter was going to be as close as you could get a couple of years ago with the idea of news and basic information and the speed of it. But I'm not sure what that does now when you're talking about international boundaries being broken down and different issues with that. Do we underappreciate how important social media is? Because I think a lot of people just think of it as a time waster and, you know, people, kids are just scrolling through. But mm. it's really, whether it is information, community, you know, research, things like that, we m might not even realize it, but it's become so entangled in just about everything one way or another, no? With like the first weekend or two of my classes, I'll ask my, my com majors, do this experiment for me for the weekend. See if you can go through the weekend without going on and looking and using social media actively. Not even just, you know, watching posts, which would, would still qualify as not being effective, but but doing it like actively yourself. And they just laugh at me. Like five years ago, I could have said that and I might have given a person or two to kind of try it. Today, it's not even considered, uh, I think, even possible for folks. You know, I hate to use the matrix as kind of like the, you know, the connection, but it is. It's something where that's kind of part of their world now. And I think even the folks who are older, I have a hard time avoiding, like I'll sometimes put my phone in a room and walk away from it for an hour on purpose, but I'll, I always feel nervous about doing it. I feel like I'm somehow missing something. 
So I do think it's absolutely critical nowadays. And, you know, having a cell phone or a watch on you with that information, it's just, it's so easy to not get away from, therefore you, you, you actively, you know, buy into it. So yeah, I, it's so much a part of our world. There's just no way I think you get away from it for now. It takes, it takes a really hard effort. So given that, the idea of more splintering, good or bad, because I would imagine it's going to be tougher to get important messages to a kind of a consistent, I don't know, a, a wide ranging audience. And it's going to be also easier for people to get more into a, a bubble, be it political, social, conspiracy theory, stuff like that. So I would kind of lean towards if it does end up over the next few years, we just have half a dozen sites that try to do what Twitter does, but none of them are what. Twitter was at its heyday and stuff like that. It seems like everybody would lose in in different ways. One of the key buzzwords that we use in our department is our echo chambers. You have that self-selection, which in some ways is a good thing. You find the sources of media that you want to buy into and follow people and that kind of stuff. But I think what it does is it makes you feel very comfortable because you. I think we naturally find sources that we agree with as far as our our agenda, how we feel just things should be in the world. And I think when you find uh, a source like that, whether it's liberal or conservative or whatever, however else you kind of define it for you, it winds up being something that you are attached to. And so one thing that I do, you know, being I can't get my classes to get away from the social media for even a little bit of time, what I do is I ask them, okay, uh, at least for six o'clock news or whatever for the next day or two, Instead of where you would go for your typical news stuff, try to find a site or a place that is the opposite from what it is that you would you know, be most comfortable with. And, and try to compare that to what they're talking about for their main you know, news stories and how they treat some of the people that they champion that you may maybe would not, and then vice versa, the folks that you would really kind of like and see how they poke you know, and prod at them. How does that make you feel and how is it that it's possible to try to at least recognize, if not accept, that there can be multiple paths, you know, of, of truth that are out there? We try to get them to not feel comfortable, you know, with, with that in our classes. Based on our political things, I think if I have a choice between I only got five minutes, so I want to find an article that challenges what I want versus makes me feel happy I'm in my you know, particular bubble, like you said, I'll probably still three times out of four find that bubble that makes me feel more comfortable. And that makes it, I think, a hard habit to break. But we do try to say that in our classes. See if you can find ways to test that. We need to take a break. We will have more with Villanova's Derek Arnold right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Derek Arnold of Villanova University. So we talked about threads. And just in the last six months, as Twitter has kind of gone downhill, you've mm-hmm. seen, I think it's Post, uh, Blue Sky, Mastodon, which yeah. I feel like are they're kind of trying to be like Twitter, but to different levels of, of success. And some of them are harder to get on. You just can't sign up. You have to be like invited, stuff like that. 
Is there anything you think that's positioned to have big-time success other than Threads, and that's simply just because Threads kind of already has the infrastructure of Meta in place, so it's obviously a lot easier to, to scale up in a hurry and bring everybody on board, and you talked about, you know, it's right from Instagram to there, because everything else, it kind of feels like there's like a day or two of excitement on Twitter that, oh, I signed up for Blue Sky, it's great, or I got on Blue Sky, but then it's there's no buzz because enough people aren't aren't there and stuff like that. That's the thing right now where if you look at kind of like the checklist of stuff that people that are looking for new media, I think, have in their mind, it might be for how much control do they have over their data? To some extent, do they feel comfortable in whatever community or communities they can kind of sign up or, or use? The idea of ads, you know, if they're there, do they really impose upon you? Do they still ask for that kind of data and stuff from you? And like you said, some of the ones that are out there that people would like to try partly raises the hype for them, but because they are making it more limited because you have to be invited for things like Blue Sky and, and some of the other ones like that. One or two that I kind of have found that seem to be a slow burn, but kind of improving or increasing their, their base. I think of something like Discord as kind of a group where you've got people who are really there for a particular interest and it's a very fairly smooth interface as far as trying to be able just to have conversations with other folks. And because they've been able to kind of build in small tech advantages and, 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 and additional kind of app things to them, that's one that I think, I know my kids really like it because it's easy to kind of get to, they have their friends from a long time, you know, and a long time I'm talking with college kids, like, you know, five, six years have been able to use it in a way, and they find it as a way to, while they're playing a game, they can talk. I find that one to be very kind of underrated in some ways because it allows them to do what they wanna do, doesn't get in their way, and I think it's somewhat better in some ways with the privacy matters than being able to control the settings to what it is that you want for your particular community, which might only be like a dozen people or something, but. That's one I think that I want to study a little bit more and see how this sea change, like you say, how it'll affect that. But I do think otherwise, like you said, it, it kind of comes down to what what can you throw at people? And honestly, how much do people not mind giving up some information about themselves? My family and I were sometimes kid ourselves like, you know, so we're being somehow watched by whoever. And, you know, we almost like laugh, like, oh, great, watch, watch my boring life and stuff. And I think some people may just feel like, it doesn't matter. They already got me in for my information anyhow. I might as well just go ahead and just be on record with some of it as long as it's not too much. And I just think that's part of the future as well. I think it's going to be an expectation that they can get the stuff, true or not, that you you know think that they would be able to anyhow. So why not just offer it? I, I just think people don't realize how important that bit of information is. I feel like the Twitter brand... Whether you love them or hate them, Elon Musk has really changed how people look at the the Twitter brand. Do you think it will continue to kind of slip off? Do you think if there were an ownership change, it could stabilize and maybe, you know, find some of the things that really made it as pop, you know, one of the most popular there for a while? Or do you think it will just kind of stumble along and and still be there and still be used but it will never be what it was before i do think that it'll probably wind up stumbling along to some extent i think elon musk will wind up being in the will be in the news for some of the wrong reasons 
maybe one benefit is that because I think some of these business decisions and stuff have been so visible based on some of the stumbling around, that will allow, I think, people to recognize some of the issues that go along with any new media and any new platform as to the kinds of questions that you know, they have to, issues they have to deal with. And I think when you lose like, well, like 75% from 7,500 people down to 1,500 people on the Twitter staff in the last year, it winds up being something where you kind of go, well, you know, businesses have tough decisions to make. And I think once people, I think, look at some of these media decisions, uh, companies as being part of that, that, that they are not immune to those things. I mean, people have always looked at the newspapers and stuff as this is our source of news, not thinking as much as well, it's also a business and people have agendas and companies and, and newspapers and other forms of media have agendas as well. And, and I think people are just now becoming more aware of that. And I think maybe that's something that Twitter might accidentally almost benefit by just because people had it under the spotlight first. We'll see what happens with threads, but certainly meta is probably the same thing as well. So they're big enough that I think they'll still stumble through and, and maybe they'll improve as a result of that. It'd be interesting to see, I say in a year, whether say Twitter is in any kind of, I think it'll still be here, but whether it'll still be in the same shape even now. And we mentioned conspiracy theories in passing earlier. I don't know, you teach a class on conspiracy theories. If we continue to see like the, this splintering of social media, For things like conspiracy theories and misinformation, which I think kind of go hand in hand, I'm torn whether it will improve or make worse because I think it could improve because it might not let things take over on a wide swath. But on the other hand, I think it would allow people to go deeper, even deeper down rabbit holes. Uh, How do you look at it? I think I think um, yes, uh, because it, it does wind up where you get people who are going to be, in some ways, it makes us more critical of what we see, and that's good, I think. But you are going to get folks that, in some cases, it's going to be that echo chamber thing again, where you look for things that you are comfortable hearing. The studies on conspiracy theories really have exploded the last five or so years, which is great because it's start just now starting to show us. Like for example, if you are in the opposite party of the one that's in office, conspiracy theories hold more sway with you, you know, and if you're the one that's in power, they don't. And that's something that was interesting to kind of note to my class, because then they'll kind of see it as here's something that if you are being critical, uh, as far as how you think about things and how you see the news and stuff, that's good. It's healthy in some ways, but it also allows you to hide in those kinds of bubbles, like you said before, and that makes it harder. So you know, when they take the class, they're almost kind of bummed because I talk about how we're going to talk about logic and argumentation and those specific things about those groups of people and who's more likely to buy into these these kinds of conspiracy theories. And so, you know, we talk about some things like Occam's razor, which is just the idea that the simpler the explanation, the better. So therefore, if a conspiracy theory is all complicated about, you know, A equals C times D, you know, divided by three, it winds up being less less believable in the end, just because even though it's a good story, and gosh, we love stories, and if there's a good one, you know, I'm willing to listen to it, even if it seems like incredible that it could actually happen. That's one of the things that I always tell them. And then I always ask them as well, you know, can you find out who benefits from the conspiracy theory? If they can find somebody that benefits from that particular thing, 
as far as a, an opinion. We even talked for like a week in class about memes and how memes are the sneakiest part of all of us. Because you see one three seconds later, you laugh, it's funny, and then you move on and you haven't really thought about how it actually still might have a little bit of uh, staying power in your head. So when you look at the particular memes of the week, you know, those things will occasionally go, okay, that was silly, but I wonder if. And if it's something that makes you kind of, you know, it's in that bubble being comfortable, then yeah. I think it's, it. so in the end, it winds up being, yes, we are better because it makes us a little bit more resistant to some of everything that we hear. But if we find something that makes us comfortable and it's in our, our sweet spot of sorts, I think we're more likely to even go further down the rabbit hole. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.